Welcome to FIO on the Air, the voice of the festivals and events industry in Ontario. Please welcome our CEO and your host, Dave McNeil. Hello and welcome to FIO on the Air. Today we've got uh, Megan Henderson, who's the executive producer of the Growth Op, joining us. Welcome, Megan. Hello. And Megan was part of our cannabis panel at our conference back in London. Uh, back in February, and, and very knowledgeable and very helpful in uh, I- including a lot of what-ifs and, and providing as many answers as possible all surrounding cannabis, and, and I think more specifically the marketing thereof. Is that correct, Megan? Yes, for sure, yeah. But, I mean, honestly, it's a, it's sort of a, a gamut. I run the gamut in terms of uh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that when it comes to cannabis. So so, so let's do a refresh. Uh, you know, October 17th, cannabis becomes legal in Canada. Um, at first, Ontario had a policy that you could smoke at home, but uh, not in the public. And then the Ford government came in and changed all that. Can you talk a little bit about that change and then the effect that that would have on the festival world? Yeah, so the the Smoke-Free Ontario Act has been adjusted to uh, include cannabis, uh, like smoking cannabis and vaping in there. Um, So, uh, you know, you you can outdoor public spaces such as parks and sidewalks are fair game in Ontario um, in terms of smoking. uh, But, you you know, you couldn't smoke inside an RV or a camper. So if you're at a festival where you're potentially, you know, something like Boots and Hearts, uh, where I believe they're doing, you know, sort of Airbnb RVs this summer, uh, you couldn't smoke or vape inside of those. um, Or sorry, you can smoke and vape inside of those um, as long as... um, you know, it's not on the move, right? So same goes for boats. So you can't, you know, smoke in your boat or vape in your boat uh, cannabis, right? So it can't be, it has to be something that's a static sort of place, um, but it can't be, uh, you know, on public land, essentially. So if you're in a, uh, like a, sorry, it can't be like a, a, a conservation area or something like that. A lot of those municipalities are saying like, you know, you can't smoke in there, just like you can't smoke cigarettes uh, in certain places. And certainly for all of our members across the province, it differs. It it differs municipality to municipality because there is a a local connection to what is allowed and what's not allowed. Correct? Yeah, and I would say like we've certainly seen, and I would, you know, I would almost say look at which municipalities have opted into the retail framework, especially in Ontario, uh, where you know uh, municipalities have the opportunity to to opt out. So you know, if you're trying to hold a festival in uh, a municipality that said no, we don't want any retail shops, you are probably going to find it difficult to have any sort of cannabis related pieces within an existing festival that you've maybe had a liquor license for before because we are starting to see for instance there was a there was a there is a summer festival a new festival uh, that was supposed to be launching in June uh, that was going to be a beer and cannabis education festival and uh, we've just found out this week that they um, have been unable even though they were able to secure the permit from the conservation area they were going to be hosting it in that the city has changed their bylaws specifically because of this uh, festival to say, no, you can't do this, uh, this smoking or this component in that in that park anymore, uh, as per the city bylaw, which has sort of essentially left them without a home for this festival. So, you know, I would say you have to be very careful about which municipalities that you're looking at holding your festivals in, and you have to make sure that you um, are having open dialogue with them and are very clear on what their expectations are from day one so that you don't get too far down the road and sort of get the rug pulled out from under you. And I guess that's another good uh, talking point is 
while it might be legal and okay in any given municipality, you could also have venues that just don't want to have any part of it on their property, which would yeah, supersede the municipality ruling. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, you know, it really does depend. There's a couple of different layers here. Like you say, there's the municipality. I mean, there's the federal rules, which, as you say, say it's legal, right? So as long as that wherever that location is, it doesn't fall under, um, you know, the you can't smoke here, can't smoke there thing, then you have the challenge of how does the municipality feel about it? And then how does the individual city or town or community feel about it? All of those things are factoring into these decisions. And, um, you know, especially if it's a you know, a primarily a family venue and things like that, you'll find that they're not open to these types of integrations now, even though cannabis is legal. So unlike uh, our, our liquor laws where uh, festivals can get SOPs and can serve liquor on their property under their license, um, that's not so for cannabis. Cannabis is strictly a bring your own. Uh, you can't sell it on site. You can't test it on site. You can't promote it. You can't market it. Uh, is that correct? Well, yeah, essentially you can't sell it outside of a designated licensed uh, area, right? So in Ontario, that means the Ontario Cannabis Store online or a licensed retailer, uh, which right now um, I think we're up to about 12, maybe 10 or 12 open stores across the province right now. And so you can go into those stores and buy cannabis uh, legally and bring it with you to that venue. But you will not find, you should not find, I should say, you should not find anyone selling cannabis products, whether that be, um, you know, what you would traditionally think of as cannabis, which is a joint or a dried flower um, at a festival or an event. But I would say that we still occasionally do see folks selling CBD products. And this is a real uh, challenge right now because CBD up until recently um, was considered sort of this gray area because a lot of times it's derived from hemp, which used to fall under the Industrial Hemp Act. But as part of the whole rollout of legalization last year, they actually rolled the hemp the industrial hemp regulations into the Cannabis Act. So now even CBD, which is another cannabinoid. So when we think of, of cannabis, we think of THC. That's the most prominent cannabinoid that we think of, right? And that's what gets us high. But CBD is also part of the cannabis plant and the hemp plant. And it, it is not intoxicating, so it does not give you that euphoric high feeling, but it does have effects on your body. And so uh, it's very much treated as a health and wellness product, but it is now a regulated cannabis product. So a lot of those folks that were were selling natural health products that had CBD in it, or that they were at least marketing had CBD in it, those products are now um, regulated and can't be sold openly um, as they were before. So if you see someone at a festival or an event selling CBD, chances are they're doing so uh, outside the, the letter of the law. And at this point, even those stores that are licensed to sell, they can't do remote locations and and uh, bring it on site at is that correct? It's, no. it's just strictly yeah, at their storefront. Yeah, that's correct. Front. So there's no no sampling allowed, um, and there is no, like, your license doesn't travel with you. That license is for the specific address that, that it's been granted for. So you can only sell in the location on your license. Now, another area where I know there's some confusion in the festival world is prior to October 17th, uh, the various cannabis country, uh, companies across the province, across the country, actually, uh, we're pumping some money into festivals. They were putting marketing dollars towards it. They were um, doing on-site uh, education um, and, and training on what, what was about to come. And prior to October 17th, that was legal and, and there was no issue. 
once it came into effect, that change. Can you talk about that change and how that affects the festival world? Yeah, so, like I would say, I'm not sure that it was legal, to be honest with you, because um, at that time, cannabis was still regulated as a, as a like a Schedule One drug, sort of like the way it is in the U.S., or at least it was under the Federal Drug Act uh, here in Canada. So you were very limited in how you could um, advertise and market cannabis, um, but it wasn't very well defined, right, because it was more prohibited. So, you know, I, I think a lot of folks were just sort of, they knew even stricter, like more de- well-defined rules were going to come into place on October 17th. 2018. So they just sort of went gangbustered and sponsored as many things as they could. And obviously outdoor events really jive well with cannabis, you know, music and entertainment and creativity. They're very much a part of the cannabis culture. So we saw a lot of folks, you know, leaning into those types of events because it really meshes well with the the typical cannabis experience and user. So, um, you know, I think the challenge is now is that the Cannabis Act specifically says you cannot sponsor an event. Um, You can't sponsor a stadium. Um, but I do hear talk of people who are trying to find loopholes within that system so that, you know, perhaps it's a venue that requires everyone show their ID before they enter. Um, so, you know, I think we're trying, there's people trying to find ways in which they can do it in a compliant way so that, um, the challenges is that they're not marketing to the, to the youth. And I think that that's sort of the crux of what Health Canada was going for with those regulations is that they didn't want to take the risk of the ultimate goal has always been don't promote cannabis, right? But they really don't want to make it seem like this sexy, cool lifestyle, right? So associating it with musics and concerts and festivals really does give it that sort of more glamorous, sexy edge. And so the goal has always been like, hey, don't don't be in these places where you're going to make people think, hey, this is a cool thing and you want to be one of the cool kids. So part of that has been don't sponsor these things, which is, you know, I think there's potential to do it in the right way. And and one of the ways um, some people have been doing it has been purely on the education level. So they can't sample, they can't really talk about their brand too much. They can't have a bunch of signage saying, hey, uh, look at me, I'm a cool cannabis brand. But that doesn't mean they can't educate people. And I think ultimately that's the challenge with cannabis right now is that, you know, we need to educate people on consumption so that they understand what product works best for them, how to consume it in a responsible way, uh, what to do if they overindulge, um, and all of those sort of fundamentals so that when people do decide to try cannabis, um, they don't have a bad experience. So it's sort of, we have to find a way to walk the line so that, you know, these companies are able to market their products in a responsible way as they, as you know, as alcohol retailers have done for decades um, with without, again, making it seem like this really cool, sexy thing. And don't you want to be a cannabis smoker? Because obviously nobody wants kids smoking cannabis, right? So it's, it's a bit of a fine line right now. But I think hopefully um, as the regulations evolve and the enforcement, we'll start to see some of that. Um, we'll start to find the right path through that those challenges. We've got Megan Henderson, who's the executive producer of the Growth Lab with us. We're talking cannabis back in just a minute on Feel on the Air. Festivals and Events Ontario supports a lively, engaged, and dedicated festival and events industry. Purchase your Festivals and Events Ontario membership today and get a team of people working to help you succeed. Here's just a few benefits that membership provides. Promotion, saving money, networking, industry awards, supplier discounts, communications, skills development, and so much more. So many benefits, so little cost. Buy your membership today. Contact us now, Debbie at festivalsandeventsontario.ca. The voice of festivals and events in Ontario. 
Feo on the Air continues. Here again is our host, Dave McNeil. Welcome back to Feo on the Air. Megan Henderson, the executive producer of the Growth Op, joins us. I'm just going back down this whole gray line of marketing because I think this year and possibly next year, it's going to be a really, like you said, fine line. Personally, I think the risk outweighs the reward. I'm all about the customer experience and I, and I can see a, a great fit. But until it's tested, tried and true, you know, if, you're, if your festival or event holds a liquor license in Ontario and you have a free cannabis sampling things, those two things can be easily tied together and jeopardize each other. Am I correct in that? Yeah, so I would say 100% because uh, for a couple of reasons. One, there should be no sampling period of cannabis. But if you're going to do like um, if you're going to do um, a liquor area where you have to be 19 to get in because it's like a beer garden or whatever the case may be, if you also try and make that a designated sort of cannabis area, um, you may run into challenges with the liquor license because this is such a new area. So we still don't like really know how the provincial government is going to treat it when it comes to things like that because we've only seen a couple festivals sort of say we're going to have a, a consumption area for cannabis uh, smokers, right? So um, the concern for some folks is, is that depending on who you're talking to at the licensing for your, for your liquor license, you know, maybe they don't like cannabis. Maybe they, this might affect your ability to get a license you've gotten every year for the past 10 years. So again, I think it goes back to really communicating with the municipality and the licensing uh, folks to make sure you understand what their stance is on cannabis and how they feel comfortable with it and, and understand what your policy is going to be around it at your event, you know, um, so that, you know, when you go to them for the license, they're going to feel like, okay, you've, you've thought this through and this isn't just, again, you're just doing it because it's the thing of the moment. You're doing it because you know your your festival goers or your consumers that are attending this event, it's important to them to have this space where they can go and consume their cannabis, especially if they're medical patients. You want to make sure everybody's getting the access that they need. Um, but you just have to be very, I think there's a lot of concern right now that if you go to your, your licensing folks and say, hey, we're going to have this cannabis section, that they might decline your license because of that. And I don't know that there's anything that says they can, but the more communication you have with them and the more you understand their point of view and work with them on their concerns, I think it will ease the way. And I think as we go forward, we'll start to see this sort of mapped out a little bit better because I don't think, again, it was such a rush to get the legalization in place. I think there's been a lot of areas where we've started to see things that just weren't fully thought through and how will this all work together, right? So it, it's going to be a lot of working together to find the best way forward. So that's the other uh, little bit of confusion. Um, the AGCO is the, I guess, the governing body on distribution. Um, and then enforcement seems to become a little bit on the on the gray side as well. We had Richard Anderson in on our last episode from SmartServed. And, you know, he talked about in their training program, while they're developing their cannabis models as they go along, they're still going by the... Impaired is impaired, and it doesn't matter how you got there. You're impaired, and, and that's what they're training servers and everything to look for. Is, is there a clear coat who would come in and, and place charges? Would it be AGCO, local police, Health Canada? Do you have an understanding of how that would work? Sure. I mean, I think, again, it depends. So if if you are, so there's going to be different scenarios for this. So if you're a licensed producer or a cannabis accessory company and you're found 
um, at a festival or an event and you're either selling product that you shouldn't be selling or you're promoting your product in a way that's in contravention of the Cannabis Act. So let's say you're a licensed producer and you've got signage all over this area saying, you know, come learn about cannabis from Canopy or from Hexo or from some other licensed producer. Uh, or they have it on, say, the festival is promoting that, that they're going to have this cannabis area and it's sponsored by Canopy. So that's an infraction of the advertising rules. And so, you know, if Health Canada finds out about that infraction or if someone complains about that to Health Canada, then Health Canada from a federal level will it will be the one in charge of enforcing that with the licensed producer or the accessories company, right? And they may reach out to the festival as well as the licensed producer. But according to the act right now, it's really the licensed producer who is on the hook for that, right? If if you're, uh, say, uh, a cannabis user and you're at a festival and you're smoking cannabis um, in a place that you shouldn't be smoking it based on the uh, Smoke Free Ontario Act, well, again, that depends on um, whether it's a it maybe a bylaw officer that enforces that. Um, it may be uh, local police if they're there on site doing, you know, security or whatever, and they notice that you're smoking. You know, if they dig a little deeper, they can ask you where you purchased that that uh, cannabis. And if you can't produce proof that you purchased it legally, then you might get a ticket. Um, it, I would say it's highly unlikely you'd get arrested uh, because most people aren't carrying around, you know, tons of cannabis with them. So, you know, at best you might get a ticket for uh, potentially not being able to prove that you purchased that cannabis legally. But frankly, if, if you grow your own, which everyone is entitled to in Ontario to grow four plants, federally, everyone uh, is legally allowed to do so. If you say, I this is my own cannabis that I grew myself. It's unlikely that the cops could do anything uh, because, again, it's how can, how can they prove you didn't grow it yourself, right? So it's sort of depending on the situation it, and depending on how driven um, that municipality or that local police department is about enforcing cannabis rules, you would see them potentially being the ones to do it. Health Canada, though, would be the one enforcing all the marketing and um, any infractions from that level. But again, so far, they have really been about trying to make sure everyone's educated on the do's and don'ts and working with them. So there's been a lot of warning letters and a lot of discussions. I would say we may be coming to the end of that and we may see more um, more enforcement that may include actual repercussions for some of these licensed producers and, and other entities that might not be still following the Cannabis Act rules. But, um, you know, we've seen very little tickets or enforcement overall. Just to be clear with some of the people we've been talking to as well, and you mentioned that Health Canada would, would charge the, uh, the cannabis company. It's our understanding through legal and through some of our insurance people that the the festival itself for having them there could be held responsible and liable to you so that so that's a gray area as well that you know that's the problem with gray areas they're great if you're on the leading edge of something that works out great but you don't want to be that first charge and example to set the tone for the rest of the year and i would say though too like when you look at the cannabis act it really is about um you know, did you do, do this knowingly, right? So, you know, if you are knowingly taking money from a cannabis company that you know you shouldn't be taking, and if you are knowingly advertising them in a way you shouldn't be, then yeah, for sure, I think you're probably going to, you know, you should expect some enforcement from Health Canada. But if you can reasonably say to them, hey, I, I didn't, you know, this wasn't the way we understood it. If you have an arguable defense to say, this is the first time we did it, we, you know, we should have been better educated or we didn't have the right advice or whatever the case may be. I think it's highly likely that Health Canada is going to 
help you understand what the parameters are. Like I can't say for sure. Nobody knows for sure, right? But I, so far, Health Canada has really tried to help people understand how they can play you know, compliantly within this space um, and not, again, encourage, uh, you know, people who shouldn't be using cannabis to use it. So I think, you know, if you mean well and you're not trying to purposely um, step around the rules, they will probably be more understanding. But if you are doing this just for the sake of a money grab, then you're probably, you should expect to get some kind of repercussion for that. Now, the other thing that for the few festivals that are, are giving it a try this year, the Cannabis Act defines legal carry, and I think it's up to, what, 30 ounces on your person? Not 30 ounces. 30 grams, 30 actually. grams, sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But a lot of festivals I've seen are allowing, like, uh, you know, 7 grams or 10 grams. So mm-hmm. what what goes into those decision makings? I mean, I think a how the challenge will be enforcing that. So legally speaking, you know, you can say, hey, you've got to have 10 grams or we'll escort you out. But are you going to check everybody's pockets? Are you going to have a scale and measure? Is this 10 grams? Like, you know, how educated are your uh, the folks taking tickets to say, is that 10 grams or not? You know what I mean? So how are a are you even going to enforce that? It's probably going to be like a, a scouts on or, hey, I'm only carrying 10 grams. Most people are only going to carry a couple of joints anyways. I can't see people carrying around a big, you know, 30 grams is, is a fair amount of weed. Um, so I, I don't think most people will will carry more than what you're asking them to anyways. Um, but I think it's hard to enforce. So, you know, it doesn't hurt. But will you be able to actually carry that through? I, I don't know that most of these festivals can because it would take so many resources to, to check everybody. Now, from a municipal level, even if it's legal, um, and the and the municipality grants it. If your event or festival is an all age festival, does that would that supersede the the act and that it wouldn't be allowed on the grounds, or uh, could you still have a clearly defined smoking area, age checked, and and whatever? Yeah, I mean, I think as long as I mean, I, you know, if you have a tobacco smoking area, I would say that that you're then still allowed to have a cannabis smoking area as long as it's out of the way. You've designated it. You're age gating it to make sure that it's only uh, age appropriate people going in there. Um, I think that's fine, and I think as long as you have it clearly posted that that there is this area and that you know, I know the the Ottawa festivals have said, hey, you know, if we just like with tobacco smoking, if we saw somebody lighting up in the crowd, we would just go over to them and. And say, hey, can you please go over to this designated area or can you please go out to the street, right? So I don't think it's about making a big deal out of it. You certainly can't stop everybody. And it's certainly within their right um, as long as they're following the municipal and federal rules. It's, it's sort of, again, hard to enforce. But if you have that area and as long as you're clear about it um, and you encourage people to use it, I, I think it's fair. Again, as long as you are taking the right precautions and understanding what the rules are. So just to review our, our, our whole talk on cannabis in the festival season, um, and, you know, from a risk matrix, I'm suggesting, and I guess Festival and Events Ontario is suggesting that if you're going to take a try, mitigate your risk rate off the top. Talk to your lawyers, talk to your insurance companies, talk to your local police force, talk to your municipality. Who would you add to that list? Certainly the Growth Op. Have a look at their their site. There's a lot of great information. Yeah, and we've tried to cover a couple things on the festival circuit so far this year because we do think it's a really interesting um, area of, you know, that consumers want to understand. But I would say also, you know, it depends. There's sort of two schools of thought on this. Some people say you should reach out to Health Canada. Um, Some people say don't put yourself on Health Canada's radar. So it really depends on how you feel about that. But I would say, you know, if you think you're doing everything right, 
but you you ultimately want to make sure that you're not stepping in stepping in anything with Health Canada, then you should reach out to Health Canada and say, here's what we're planning. Here's how we're going to structure it. Here's what our lawyers say. Uh, you know, we want to make sure if there's anything, any concerns from Health Canada, we'd like to, to understand them and participate in a call with you or whatever the case may be um, to make sure you're on the right side of, of, of Health Canada. And I don't think that that hurts. Uh, but you will obviously be putting yourselves then uh, on Health Canada's radar and they will actually probably end up looking at you a little bit closer than they might have before, right? Right? So it's, it's a double-edged sword. But I certainly, from my perspective, I don't think it hurts if you are genuinely trying to play within the compliance space. You're listening to FIO on the air. We're talking cannabis with Megan Henderson, the executive producer of The Growth Up. Back in just a minute. Become a Festivals and Events Ontario member today and join a family of more than 500 members that represent over 1,400 festivals and events in Ontario. Knowledgeable, dedicated and passionate event organizers and volunteers who can help make your event a success. Membership fees range in price depending on the size of your festival or event. If you're a supplier of goods or services, you can also become a member and get connected with planners across the province. So many benefits, so little cost. Buy your membership today. Contact us now, Debbie at festivalsandeventsontario.ca. Welcome back. FIO on the air continues. Here again is our host, Dave McNeil. Welcome back to FIO on the air. We've got Megan Henderson, the executive producer at the Growth Op with us. And we're talking cannabis and the, the 2019 festival season and what lies ahead. Later in the year, I think it's October, October 17th, I believe, We've got another angle with uh, cannabis coming, and that's the edible market. And I, I think that's going to be a real game changer. And, you know, I think early speculation is that's when you're going to see some liquor laws and changes where it's one or the other. Or what, what can you tell us about where the edible road is leading at this point? And I know there's always more questions than answers. Definitely 100% right now. There's definitely more questions than answers. I mean, you know, the government, the federal government did their uh, consultation with the public. It started in December and it ended in February. Uh, but we haven't actually seen the results of that uh, consultation yet. So we we have a vague idea of sort of the, what they had sort of put out as the questions of what they thought were and were not uh, acceptable regulations around edibles. But they actually have not released the draft version of those regulations yet. So it's sort of anybody's guess as to what the final verdict is going to be. Um, what I can say is that we we do know that they're going to heavily regulate the dose per package of uh, cannabis in, in prepackaged edibles. And I believe the, the recommendation is at 10 milligrams per package. So what you see now in the black market is, or even in homemade edibles, is, you know, you could have anywhere from... 50 to 150, 200 grams, uh, micrograms, sorry, of cannabis in an edible. Um, and the government's basically saying, no, 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 we're not going to have any of that. You could have multiple doses in a package. We're not going to have any of that. You're going to have 10, 10 milligrams per package. So whatever that is, if it's a, if it's a piece of candy, if it's a brownie, whatever it is, it's only going to have maximum 10 milligram dose in it um, to minimize the opportunity for things to go sideways for people. Um, and that, I think, is probably the biggest news out of the regulations. Um, I, I think it's interesting because 
we've seen, especially with folks like Colorado, which was one of the first states to legalize recreationally, they had a huge problem with edibles in the beginning. There was a huge spike of people um, ingesting edibles, and they didn't fully understand how it worked with your body, and they didn't fully understand how dosing worked. Uh, and so the Canadian government and Health Canada has said, like, we want to minimize that uh, as much as possible. So we're going to go very, very uh, minimal on the dose. And so if you want to buy three or four packages and do a higher dose, well, then that's up to you. So that's sort of where we're seeing things going in terms of, uh, you know, what to expect from the dose. But I would say the other thing that we're really seeing is a huge investment in the beverage side of it. So, you know, you're still going to see your edibles, which is going to be like, you know, you're probably going to see like your cookies and your brownies and your candies, right? Because um, cannabis needs a like a like a fat carrier, right? It needs some kind of fat to help it be digestible. So you'll always see those sort of candy elements in it. Um, but we're seeing a huge amount of uh, licensed producers invest in beverages. So we may get to a stage in the next few years where you can go into a bar, you can go into a, you know, a, um, a designated alcohol area in a festival and be able to order a can of beverage or a beer right? And have your 10 milligram dose of CBD or THC in a beverage instead of smoking it, which I think for a lot of folks is really interesting because um, there's a real stigma around smoking cannabis. So I think that this will help open people's minds up, I think a little bit with that product format. And they do anticipate that the beverages is going to be a huge part of that. So that's sort of where we're seeing the trends. But I would also say that um, because we haven't seen the regs yet, I would say we probably won't see prepackaged edibles. The, the, the thought is probably not until early 2020. If the legalization of those products happens on time, which is expected to happen in October of 2019, so the fall, likely most licensed producers will not be able to get product out the door until early 2020. Is that going to go through the same distribution cycles, like to get the edible that you have to go through the whatever it is, the 13 in the province or... It, or will that model again change? When you talk about the infused drinks, like is the only place you'd be able to get a, an infused beer through the cannabis store or, you know, if it was a power drink or whatever else? It, is is that all part of what's unknown or? No, I would say like the expectation is that everything will still run through all of the licensed cannabis outlets. So depending on the province you're in, um, you'll only be able to purchase any edible topical products, anything like that through those licensed providers still. And the same with the drink. So if there was a, yeah. a craft beer that was uh, infused, you'd still only be able to get it at the cannabis store, not at the, at the craft brewery. Correct. And they've also put sort of restrictions on shelf life too, right? So um, you can't have products that uh, I think, I, and like I could be wrong on this, I can't remember exactly, but I believe that, you know, they can't require a lot of refrigeration and, and you know, they've got to be able to have a longer shelf life, right? So it's not something that's going to be a perishable item. I've heard speculation too that, you know, in the um, culinary world that, you know, there's all kinds of pairing um, things that are, are potentially going to happen. But from what I've read and from the discussions I've had with various groups, it's kind of an either or. It's it's either a total cannabis tasting. It's not a, a cannabis tasting with wine on the side. It's one or the other. Is that what you're hearing as well? Yeah, typically I would say most folks don't like to mix alcohol with their cannabis. Uh, there's certainly some folks that do, but you do run the risk when you're pairing those things together that... Um, things can go, especially with edibles, uh, it's challenging, right? So alcohol, as we know, is metabolized in your liver. Um, smoking and vaping cannabis, uh, it, it's got, it goes through your bloodstream. But when you eat an edible, 
um, it is metabolized through your liver, just like alcohol would be, right? So if you're drinking wine and you're eating edibles or infused food, uh, you're putting a lot into your liver all at once, right? And, and, you're, and you're giving it a lot to work on, right? So I would say typically people do try and shy away from you know putting those two things together. Now, just like when cannabis was legalized in October of 2018, um, you know, with the edible market coming on, uh, I'm going to go back to sort of that gray marketing advertising area. Are are people looking to start promoting and educating on the edible market? And does that become another shade of gray? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, folks like ourselves of the growth up, we've we have been trying to talk a lot about what to expect when you eat an edible and how to how to understand dosing. And, you know, the mantra is always go start low, go slow, uh, because edibles can really affect you differently than smoking cannabis. Um, I, I definitely have started to see licensed producers talk more about edibles, talk more about cannabis beverages. So it's definitely top of mind. I think if there was ever an area where education was vital, it is in the edible space, right? Because of how your body metabolizes it differently than smoking. And people don't always understand that. And also because an edible takes anywhere between, we'll say, 45 minutes to several hours before it actually starts to break down in your system and get you high. Whereas when you smoke, you know, it can take 10, 15 minutes before you start to feel like, you know, you're you're high, right? So if you don't understand that difference in, in the functionality of those those sort of formats, you're going to eat, and this is what often happens to people, you're going to eat a dose of your edible, and you might start really low, which is great. But if you don't feel something in like half an hour, 45 minutes, you might take a second dose or more. And then suddenly, you know, within hours, you are now way more over the line than you expected to be. And you're not necessarily equipped to handle that level of what we'll say is intoxication. Um, and so, you know, like anything, you have to build up your tolerance. Like with alcohol, you don't just go out of the, you know, the gate and, you know, have like six drinks, you know, you usually start off with a couple of drinks or whatever, because your tolerance is low. And the same thing can be said for edibles. So I think, you know, we really do need to have as much education education and whether that comes from the government or it comes from editorial entities like the growth op um, or it comes from licensed producers. I think anywhere and everywhere should be talking about safe consumption of edibles so that people understand what they're getting themselves into. Because like I said, Colorado, you know, didn't really think about that coming out of the gate and they had a huge spike in emergency room visits from people um, overindulging in edibles and, and doing what we call greening out. So you're not going to die, uh, but it's going to make you extremely paranoid and uh, full of anxiety. And uh, you may have a panic attack. You know, it, it can greatly affect your, you know, how you function and it will wear off. But, you know, if that's your first time experiencing edibles, you may never try cannabis again, right? Which is unfortunate. Um, and it's really solvable through just straight up education. Festivals and events are are, are really closely tied to tourism and in, in the tourism sector in Ontario. Uh, you know, we've got great partnerships, whether it's locally, provincially, um, you know, even to the federal thing. Cannabis tourism and, and have what what's the trends you're seeing there of you know, out of out of country people are coming in and, and trying to get that whole uh, cannabis experience legally. Yeah, so what we're starting to see is uh, businesses designate themselves as pot friendly. So we've seen some some cannabis or what, what we would call 420 friendly uh, bed and breakfasts, 
we've seen 420 friendly hotels. So there may be hotels that are designating, you know, just like you would have a designated smoking room or smoking floors where those rooms are available for people who smoke. You will also start to see some hotels do that uh, and resorts do that for cannabis smokers as well. So, you know, it's really about how those uh, venues market themselves. But we, you know, when you look at uh, folks like Colorado uh, and even Amsterdam is a great example. You know, they have seen lots of cannabis tourism um, in the last few years. I think, uh, you know, Colorado has seen like six to 12 million in, in cannabis tourism, you know, sort of fluctuate over the last few years. And that's really just people who want to come and try cannabis in a legal space um, and not feel sort of stigmatized for using it. Um, and, you know, we anticipate the same thing happening here, especially, you know, in BC where it's, you know, again, a very well-developed cannabis culture. Uh, I think we'll see more people, um, you know, traveling to those areas or traveling and, and staying at these bed and breakfasts or these hotels. Uh, there's a place up in Smith Falls that is now designated a 420 friendly golf course. So if you want to go and smoke a joint and golf, you know, nine, nine holes, you can. Um, so we're definitely starting to see those pop up. It is really about the individual, um, again, goes back to municipal regulations, uh, smoke-free Ontario, if you're in Ontario, and, and you as a private business owner deciding whether or not you're going to designate this as a, as a, a cannabis-friendly uh, venue. So as part of your marketing, if and, and you just sort of clicked another what if in my head. What if on your marketing posters or brochures or online webs, you said that your festival was 420 friendly? Is that mm-hmm. is that an implied cannabis marketing or? It, it isn't. So again, it really comes down to who pays for what, right? So the, the goal of the Cannabis Act and the restrictions around marketing is really about not encouraging licensed producers um, or cannabis accessories companies or what we would call a service of cannabis. So people who are really trying to sell cannabis, if they pay for something, that's when it becomes restricted, right? But if you're a festival and you just want people to know, hey, we're 420 friendly or we're going to have this designated smoking area and it's not sponsored by any of these people, it's just something you want the public to know and be aware of because you want to encourage, you know, that type of audience to to come and know that they can be comfortable. Well, that's okay because that's really about, um, you know, giving people the information around what you'll be offering. You're not a cannabis company, you're, you know, even if you're a cannabis festival, again, it really depends on who's paying for it, right? And who's paying for the promotion. So if you're just a festival and you are just promoting the fact that you're going to have a, a 420 friendly area or that you're 420 friendly, you know, there's nothing to say that you can't do that. And just to put into perspective, and, and I think we'll slide sort of back to the edibles and cannabis coming out. Deloitte recently did a study and, and, and their their conclusion is that in Canada, there's a potential for a $1.6 billion industry there. Like, mm-hmm. like that's phenomenal when you sit back and you think about that. That's just the edibles too. So so in October, what's going to become legal is edibles, topicals, and concentrates. So that $1.6 million or billion or million? I can't remember. Billion. Um, billion, sorry, is really just the edibles, right? So there's, they're actually saying that it could be up to 2.7 billion when you factor in things like topicals and concentrates. And what falls under those is, so a topical would be like uh, a cream that's infused with CBD or THC that you can rub on, like say your arthritic knees uh, or skin creams or cosmetics uh, that include uh, cannabinoids in them. And then, you know, for a concentrate, so a lot of vapes use, like if you talk about a vape, like a jewel 
or something like that. They have a cartridge that goes in there that's full of a vaping oil, just like a regular, uh, you know, e-cigarette would have those kinds of things. And, um, and so that oil, that concentrated oil uh, will now be available for sale. It currently is not. So you, if you have a vape that requires that sort of cartridge system or uh, can only use oil, those will now be legal. So there's, there's a whole bunch of other formats that fall into this. Um, and it also opens things up for other product formats. Like, you know, we'll start to see things like transdermal patches and quick strips. So like a Listerine strip that has a cannabis dose on it that you can buy uh, at a cannabis retailer. And, you know, you just put it on your tongue and it dissolves and that's your, that's your cannabis dose instead of smoking it. Um, just as we're wrapping things up, Megan, we, you know, we've, we've put a lot of information out there. We've hopefully answered a few questions. We've probably generated a few more. Any last word that you'd like to put in on the whole discussion and, and the cannabis and the festival world? Yeah, I mean, I think overall, the, the I mean, and we said this when we had the original panel at the, uh, you know, at the uh, conference a couple of months ago. I mean, people have been doing cannabis in this country for a long time. This is not new. It's legally it's new. But in terms of people have probably been showing up at festivals and events high or bringing their own edibles or whatever the case may be for decades. So it's really, you know, the concern should really not be about the people who have been using this product for a long time, but about the new folks who are just starting to open up to cannabis and are experimenting with it, who probably are newbies and, and are still getting their feet under them. So, you know, it's really about understanding um, how to help those people have a safe and enjoyable time at your events and, you know, what your policy is around it, you know what I mean? And, and understanding, you know, what the municipality is, as we've said earlier. So, you know, a lot about it is determining how you want to approach cannabis inclusion in your events and then, you know, crossing all of the T's and dotting all the I's with all of your stakeholders, municipally, federally, whatever the case may be, to ensure that you can do that effectively um, and and keep yourself uh, in a safe space with all of those stakeholders as well. And uh, just to top that off from Festival and Events Ontario, uh, you know, we're encouraging people to check with your legal counsel, check with your insurance providers, check with your municipality, your local police force, have that dialogue, get as much information as you can and and really make that informed decision because at the end of the day you're assuming a, a, the new risk that's out there with it anything to add before we uh we head on you know these these are people too and and if you're going to create spaces for people who are drinking alcohol which you know health-wise has proven to be much more harmful uh than cannabis you know i would just say you know take a look at at your policies and, and make sure that you're being fair to your your audiences and consumers megan henderson from the growth op thank you megan look forward to talking to you at the end of the season and hopefully we'll have a few more answers and we'll probably have a lot more questions as we get into the edible market uh really enjoy your advice and, and your counsel if people wanted to get more information about the growth Op. How would they go about that? Well, I would go to thegrowthop.com uh, and uh, check out our content. We um, we have a, a contact us page as well. So if you have questions and you don't see coverage, you know we're, we're oh, we always love hearing from readers to say, hey, you know, do you have any information on this, that, or the other thing? And we'll do our best to try and cover it. Um, but you know, I would say 
you know, come to the site. Hopefully we've got a little bit of something for everybody. Um, but we also, uh, you know, we're part of the post media family. So a lot of our other brands cover it as well. So, you know, if you're in Ontario, the Toronto sun does a lot of cannabis coverage, uh, national post, uh, financial post, if you're interested in the business and investing side. Uh, so, you know, uh, this is a really hot topic for everybody in the media space right now, because it's a really hot topic for, for Canadians, right? So, uh, you know, research, 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 that's the best advice I can give people. And, um, I just, I really appreciate you guys having, having me on today. And, uh, I'm always happy to, to come on and, and chat about cannabis. I'm Dave McNeil, just reminding you that festivals build communities. Thanks for listening to Feel on the Air, the voice of festivals and events in Ontario. Festivals and Events Ontario has entered the world of podcasting with Theo on the air. Join us as we sit down and chat with the movers and shakers of the festivals and events community. The goal is to share insight, advice, planning techniques, and overall strategy with you, our Theo members. On the next podcast, would you like us to interview someone specific, cover a particular topic, answer a question? Let us know. Theo on the air wants to give you what you need to succeed. Contact us now. Dave at festivals and events Ontario.ca